Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, when this episode is released, you know what day it will be? Another day. It'll be Tuesday for sure. Another Tuesday. February 14th. Which is... Dale's favorite holiday. My favorite holiday of all time. That, that is so is fitting to your personality. In isn't no it? way commercialized and in no way do you avoid grab. this holiday at all costs. Yes, it will be Valentine's Day, the greatest of all Hallmark holidays. Have you heard of Galentine's Day? Is it like the thirteenth? It's on the thirteenth. I just had a whole conversation with some coworkers about this, and I think it's lame. Yeah. So this is when you don't have a sig of. No, you can do both. Oh, you do both. You do you Galentine's you, and no, Valentine's. You can't, yep. you can't no, play you both get, sides of the you fence. You get to do both. So you get to hang out with your gals. Your and gals. Then, <laughs> and then you hang out with your Val the next day. Oh, yes. That's exactly how it happens. Anyways. Don't be jealous because you're a guy and you don't get two days. You only get one. Maybe we can start it. It can be Palentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Hang out with your pals. <laughs> There's just something about the way you've said that that really sounds so old. Like, <laughs> what about my pals when called Palentine's Day? Yeah, I mean, it Let's should not. be a thing. We it's 2023. Be creating holidays. This is bad news. Anyways, so this is a day of. Love and cards and flowers and romance. And chocolate. Don't forget chocolate. And chocolate. Hint, hint. But Valentine's Day, did you know this, actually has roots in Christianity as well as in some ancient pagan Roman practices. Oh my goodness, no way. I feel like this is all the holidays that we celebrate, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Easter, Halloween. They all are a mix of like... Christians had a holiday, and then the pagans had a holiday, and they said, hey, you know what? Let's synchronize our calendars and just make it one giant amalgamation. And that is what Valentine's Day is, like much of the other holidays that we celebrate. Right, yeah. So our modern conception of who St. Valentine was, it's based largely in sort of myth and legend, and we're not sure exactly what all of it is true, but it's a good story. Uh, and the general strokes of the historical moment uh, when Valentine was believed to have lived are somewhat confirmed. And so St. Valentine was a priest in Rome in the 3rd century who was known for officiating marriages for young couples uh, at a time when marriage had been outlawed. And uh, like I said, the historical record is somewhat murky, and so there may have actually been two or even more Valentines. There's some conflicting reports. There was definitely one in Rome. There was maybe another Valentine in the city of Terni, which is about 60 miles northeast of Rome. But they've all kind of amalgamated into this one Saint Valentine that is the focal point of Valentine's Day. So today, I thought it would be fun to talk about how we got from a Roman Christian priest who died in roughly AD 270 uh, at the hands of an emperor who was persecuting Christians to this teddy bear and heart-shaped box of chocolates holiday that we have today. So that's what we're going to do, and we'll dive into that in just one moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. So how did we go from St. Valentine to Valentine's Day as we know of it now, which is probably has nothing to do with St. Valentine, really. Um, It has to do with buying gifts and celebrating love and spending a lot of money on a fabricated holiday. Right. So how did we get from a martyred Christian to Valentine's Day? We're going to take you on that journey. (laughs) And a conversation about Valentine or the Valentines uh, really begins with the Roman Emperor Claudius II. Not to be confused with Claudius I for all of you who are saying like, oh, I'm getting those two confused. Don't get that mixed up. So, <laughs> Sure, everyone was just really confused. Yeah, they're like pulling out like their lexicon of yes. Roman emperors. But the reign of Claudius II was uh, both remarkably short and remarkably brutal and tumultuous. Was it only like two years? Yeah, so he reigned from 268 to 270. Uh, which was really in the waning years of the sort of pagan Roman Empire as it existed before the rise of Constantine and the conversion of the empire to Christendom. And so prior to Claudius uh, coming to power, uh, he was a military leader, um, and he kind of rose through the ranks of the military, and he eventually was declared emperor by his troops after the previous emperor, uh, Galenaeus, he died, and there's uh, mysterious circumstances around the death of Galenaeus, and there are some who thought that Claudius had killed him, which may or that may not have likely. been true. I mean, pretty often in Roman history, they, an emperor came to power by killing a previous emperor. Emperor. Maybe. Emperor. And so, yeah, so there's conflicting historical accounts about the measure to which Claudius was involved in that. Uh, But what is clear is that a lot of Roman leadership wanted the previous emperor gone because he hadn't really had an easy go of controlling all the parts of the empire. And he was seen as somewhat militarily weak and vulnerable. And so, however it happened, people were glad that Claudius came to power. And when he came to power, he kind of lived up to this expectation that he be a great military leader. He was dubbed Claudius the Cruel, and he was apparently like quite like large and strong. And there's even like this account of him like in a wrestling match with somebody in first sport. And uh, apparently, uh, the the person that he was wrestling with touched his groin. And he knocked all his teeth out. So that's kind of the kind of dude he was. It's an accurate response, right? And you just right. What else would you have done in that situation? I can't think of an alternative. Right. So he was what uh, historians refer to as one of the soldier emperors. Um, 
And part of that was because from the time he came to power, uh, the Roman Empire was under threat of attack from multiple outside enemies. And uh, he was apparently like a pretty shrewd military tactician. And he was able to, in his short and tumultuous reign, expand out the area of his control, not only by fighting off invaders, but taking back land that had previously been lost under uh, previous emperors. Uh, And so his entire emperorship was marked by war. And he ironically didn't die in war. He actually died of uh, smallpox, probably. He died of some illness. It was probably smallpox. That's what what got him. And so that's kind of the best of what we know about Claudius II from verifiable historical data. Uh, So from here, the details get a little bit apocryphal here and there. Um, But this story... It was kind of passed down through the centuries, and it was really kind of officially codified as tradition in the 15th century. So like, kind of like right before the Reformation, this story had kind of reached its, its final form. Um, yeah, but the traditions they, they, and the stories, they kind of existed long before then. Yeah, but we're missing one critical part of this aspect of Emperor Claudius and his rule on marriage which is really where we see St. Valentine enter the scene. Because up until now, it's really hard to make that connection between what was happening with this reign um, of Claudius and the connection between him and St. Valentine. But the rule against marriage is where we see St. Valentine enter the picture. Right. So because the military was Claudius's whole life, and because he came to power at a time when Rome needed a really strong army to rise to the challenges of its sovereignty, uh, Claudius wanted to make sure that he took away like any distraction or any disincentive from being completely and totally committed to the army. And because he was also you know, cruel Crazy. and brash, he wasn't afraid to make unpopular decisions that negatively affected large swaths of people under his rule— And so sometime shortly after he came to power, he sent out this edict that marriage engagements were officially canceled until further notice. And no young man who was fit for the military was going to be allowed to get married. And the thought behind that was that uh, if a young man was married and had children, that that would probably be a distraction to his commitment to the military. I mean, after all, if like all these dudes are worried about getting home to their wives and kids, that's kind of a reason for them to pause and think about how committed they are to pushing the bounds of what the Roman army could do. Yes. And you would think, oh, great. That means they have this military that's living these celibate lives and they're just waiting until marriage, until they get home and they're allowed to finally marry because they're out of the military. That is not... The scenario that happened at all. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, During the Greco-Roman times, soldiers who were out at war were known to have sex with just about anyone. Anyone, anything. Yeah. Whether they were from the enemy, um, the enemy lines, people that were captured, civilians, just anyone that they met, uh, or really just one another if the opportunity didn't arise for them to have sex with somebody outside of the military they were just looking at their bunk mate and <laughs> their bunk mate that their worked tent mate. their tent mate and that worked out really well um but as we kind of talk about the 
sexual escapades of the Greco-Roman times and particularly within this military structure, um, we often want to view it through our own cultural lens, right? So we'll look back and say, look, like these people would, these men would have identified as gay or bisexual, but at this point in time, they wouldn't have identified in that way. They would have just said we had no other opportunities to have sex. And so we were just willing to have sex with anything that was in front of us or anyone that was in front of us. So they wouldn't have uh, had any kind of identifications or sexual identity that marked them in a way that we understand sexual identity to be a big part of our culture today. Yeah, that's an interesting side note because, you know, pretty much no man, woman, or child was off limits in their sexual escapades. They were having orgies. Um, but um, Preston Sprinkle has done a lot of work on this kind of conception of sexuality in the Greco-Roman period. And, like, even a, a male soldier would never say that he was gay or bisexual, even though he had sex with lots of men and lots of women. Um that just wasn't like a conception they had. That's just kind of an interesting side note. Um, but really, the the pursuit of uh, military dominance uh, for Claudius, it, it he ended up kind of just driving a nail into in the into the institutions of marriage and family, um, and basically encouraged all manner of sexual promiscuity with whomever, whenever. All the time. Well, you have to think when you have an order like that, where young men are not allowed to marry if you're in the military, and obviously he cared about having a very large military presence. So it's probably most of the people within his empire that were young and capable of being in the military were. And so just marriage was became outlawed and wasn't a thing anymore. Uh, so you just think about the fabric of that society and the government and um, how much that had to have had some pretty negative impacts because now we understand like society is made up of families. Like your uh, family unit is kind of the foundation of a lot of societies. And when you do away with that and you enter in this sort of um, life that has no boundaries and no morals and no ethics and all of those things get pushed out the window. Um, you have to imagine there were a lot of trickling effects of this specific degree upon the whole of society, which is obviously what um, St. Valentine was seeing to some degree. He wasn't looking at it from, you know, the flourishment of society as a whole, but obviously very specifically through his his Christian lens at that point. Yeah, and really, when you look at the history of the Roman emperors, like in their sexual histories, like it's 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 pretty grody. I think uh, the worst one that I can think of off the top of my head is probably Caligula, where he had all kinds of strange sexual things going on. Um, but really, what Claudius did is he said, "Okay, here's from the top down what." is going to be the edict for everybody now. And that really did have a degrading effect on society. And that is where Valentine, Valentine, Valentine comes into the fray, Valentine or Valentines. And so uh, we want to dive into that, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay, so for the sake of simplicity, uh, I'll just give 
y'all the mainstream version of the story that was eventually distilled down into one Saint Valentine. There are some scholars that contend that there was only one Saint Valentine and he was in Turney at one point, he was in Rome at another point. Some say oh, there was two Valentines, there were three Valentines. Uh, but I'll just give you like the composite story of who Valentine was. So in the face of this ban on marriage ceremonies, Valentine, he decided that he was going to continue to officiate uh, Christian wedding ceremonies, but just to do so in secret. So as a, a Christian priest, this was a Christian rite that he uh, was going to continue to administer. And um, I'm not sure that this was so much based on like this idea of like true love that we would conceive of today. Like a lot of the characterizations of what Valentine did was like, oh, he was fighting for true love and romance and all these things. Probably not. Not that's not the so way marriage much. was working back then, anyways. So you often had arranged marriages for the sake of the benefit of both sides of the family. Like it was even a financial benefit to have these two families joined together. The concept of marriage being for the sake of love and love alone, I think that didn't come until It's pretty much. American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there was you know a dowry involved. There was kind of this contractual agreement involved. It's that these two families are coming together. And it's obviously not devoid of love, but it wasn't like this Romeo and Juliet kind of romance kind of thing. It was, no, like this is how... Uh, societies that flourish are built this is how the christian community in order for it to flourish this is how it's built it's built on the institution of marriage and fidelity inside that marriage and commitment and the children being brought up into uh that that family that new family that's created and so against the cultural backdrop of his day uh valentine was really um committed to the uh institution of marriage and the definition of marriage um, that has been a part of the Christian community since the beginning, which is this it's this institution of a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. And so he felt that it was his duty as a minister of the gospel, as a Christian minister, to uh, continue to fight for this idea of marriage, uh, of a Christian marriage. Um, and even if it was stripped of its legal status, like these people weren't getting tax breaks, like you know they should have. Uh, but but they uh, but it was still um, a a spiritual sacrament to use the the language of Catholicism. Um, I'm not sure how much that language was developed in Valentine's own day, but this uh, this rite r i t e that. Um, was very spiritual and so he felt as a priest that he was called to promote and administer that sacrament to couples and so that's what he did yeah and when he was found out he was imprisoned and later executed by way of beating um by clubs and ultimately ended up being beheaded so this was very risky for him to take up this mantle of fighting for marriage and um, even knowing he wasn't fighting it from this political standpoint or government standpoint, he was fighting for the institution of marriage and marrying these young couples in secret uh, to his own death, really. Yeah, and that's kind of part of a uh, what had become a long tradition for Christians at this point. Um, 
who had experienced persecution pretty much from the day Jesus had resurrected until Constantine came to power and Christendom was born. Uh, it wasn't always uh, a consistent like level of persecution or an intensity, but it was always a risk. And so there was there was this. Um, it, it was like they considered it an honor to be martyred for your faith, and um, so Valentine was kind of in the one of the the later uh, saints that went through this. But there was this long tradition of honoring those who, uh, regardless of what Rome said, they were going to stand up for what they believed to be Christian principles. They were going to say Jesus is Lord. They were going to uh, value. Uh, uh, Christian worship and Christian uh, morals and ethics, and that did end the lives of of many Christians who we remember to this day and who were also celebrated in their own time. Right, and an interesting part of how we make the connection from this historical account of a person that lived and and did something in the world uh, to what we see Valentine's Day celebrated as today is that while he was in prison awaiting execution, Valentine had apparently fell in love. Um, According to the tradition, he healed a woman of blindness who some think was the daughter of the jailer, perhaps, and who he later fell in love with. In his correspondence with her, he signed off one of his letters to her by referring to himself as, quote, your Valentine. And there you have it. Will it you is. be Will my Valentine? Will you be my Valentine? So when I first met you, you were blind, and now you see. Oh. Will you be my Valentine? <laughs> no, for sure no. That's a hard pass. Thank you. Um, but the official day of Valentine's Day obviously still was not happening. Um, it wasn't until about 50 years after uh, Valentine's death that Constantine came into power and the Roman Empire was then Christianized under his ruling. Which is really kind of crazy. Like He was like so close to the point where it was safe to be a Christian, but he was in the last days where being a Christian could get you killed i mean and 50 years is not that close when you think about living 50 more years i mean but if he had a kid like his kid yeah would live no, that's true to like you yeah, know the next generation someone who would. was born in you know 1960 versus 2000 like that's 40 years but you know the person who was born in 2000 has the internet and you know it's just like one of those like really like huge um historical hinge points that he was like right on the cusp of of being in but he didn't make it that far That's true. Uh, But the actual day of Valentine's was first recognized as a holiday a couple of hundred years after Valentine had died in about, what, 5th century is when we finally see it celebrated and honored? Yeah, so it was the middle of the the 5th century. So, um, you know, basically like 200 years after he died. Now he finally got his day as, you know, the patron saint of lovers. Epileptics and beekeepers. Beekeepers. Yeah, I I didn't get a chance to do further research on why he's the patron saint of beekeepers, but fun fact, he I was. I don't understand. Yeah, but um, at that point, like this had more to do with getting Roman Christians to stop doing something else, right? As like it often the, is. Yeah. So they weren't just like oh. A few hundred years ago, this man died, and we should really be honoring him. 
This is not exactly how it happened. I mean, they did, but they kind of backdoored it because they're like, okay, so there was this other uh, always festival. always another holiday or another festival we're trying to cover up and <laughs> turn it into a Christian one. And then it gets morphed into something else along the way. Right. So in mid-February, the Romans, they would celebrate this festival called Lupercalia, which was a fertility festival. I feel like there were a lot of fertility festivals back in the day. You like everything to, had to do with fertility. We have to think of how important that is. Like having children in in general to grow your society is, is pretty critical. Like you need offspring. You need to continue to have children. And... The the fertility struggles that were happening, as well as children just not living long, ev- like either during pregnancy or after pregnancy. So it was just this constant uphill battle to populate society. So it makes sense why there were a ton of fertility celebrations. Yeah, so a little blood sacrifice here and there if it helps you get there. So th- this was a fertility festival that was dedicated to the Roman god Faunus. Um, and was typically accompanied by some pretty salacious partying. And they had a couple of rituals that they would perform as part of this festival. Uh, and it involved uh, sacrificing a goat and then taking the skin of the goat, skinning the goat, and then cutting up the hide into strips and then taking said strips of goat hide, uh, dipping them in the blood that um, had been spilt from the goat and then um, the men would take those strips and they would gently slap women with the bloody goat gently? hide. I think you're just adding that in. I don't know if that was... that's That was the description that I read. Okay. So maybe they're just like clocking them with it. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, this is really gross. So they would slap the women with, with, the, and bl- with the bloody goat. Um, and then they would slap the, the crops with it too. And so that was one of the ceremonies that they did. Another thing that they did is that the women would all put their names in a giant urn for the men to select from. So it was kind of like an ancient version of like spin the bottle. The version of it? Not so much speed dating as like this is the person. So you'd like pull a name from the hat and you would be paired with that person for the next year. That that would be your romantic interest for the next year. And apparently a lot of those pairings resulted in marriages. And sort so, of like an arranged mar- arranged marriage, but different. It's like arranged marriage meets spin the bottle. Meets Russian roulette. <laughs> Russian <laughs> depend, <laughs> depending on who picked that name. No, right? really. I mean, imagine if if you pick a name and you know this is the worst person to be paired with. Well, then it's only for a year. You didn't have to marry him. Oh, good. Okay, I get a choice. That's fantastic. Yeah, so... Uh, but after the Roman Empire became Christian, this festival kind of still had some legs to it, and it continued to be recognized until uh, Pope Galatius, he was like, all right, we got to put an end to this. There's there's people slapping people with goats. I'm pretty sure they're doing some weird sexual stuff, and I'm, I'm not for this. And so he declared that Lupercalia would be outlawed. And he said, you know what? I'm not just going to take something away. I'm going to give you something in its place. And he said, uh, February 14th, we're, we're going to – instead, we're going to commemorate Valentine. And it's been argued that maybe this, that was the day that Valentine had been executed. Um, but that's kind of unconfirmed and you know a lot of the details of that are a little bit wonky. But it did seem to fit that this was mid-February and we take one thing away and we put another thing in its place. And so, uh, but what's interesting about it is that at this point, uh, because there were a lot of holidays that 
um, recognized saints that had been martyred, uh, and there were specific you know designations to remember these different um, saints who had died uh, for various reasons. Uh, under the persecution of Rome. And so Valentine's Day still wasn't romantic yet. It was still about a dude that got his head chopped off. And like that was the the focus was on his his faith and his bravery and not so much on true love. Right. And so really at this point the holiday was just trying to come up with another holiday to cover the egregious holiday that was currently happening of the goat the slapping. Yes. The bloody goat slapping. <laughs> so it really didn't have anything to do with love. It was like, hey, how do we turn this thing around? Because this we just can't continue to approve of. So we're going to need to cover it up real quick. But at some point, Valentine's Day finally became what we recognize it to be today. But not for like a thousand years. Yeah, it wasn't until about the 14th century after the publication of a poem written by English poet Geoffrey Chaucer. Sure. Is that how we want to say his name? Chaucer? Okay. Chaucer? Chaucer? Yep. Geoffrey Chaucer. There you go. That that sounds English. And the name of this poem was Parliament, Parliament. of Fowls. Well done. Which was about the governmental <laughs> structure of birds. So no. the poem, yeah, the poem talked about how birds pair off with one another on Valentine's Day um, because, of course, they chose February 14th. Uh, but after that, sending a Valentine's to a romantic partner sparked into an annual tradition. Which was really weird because I read the poem and I was like, I don't get how like this was like the hottest thing that people were like, yes, I'm ready for love after reading <laughs> this poem. Right. And somewhere along the way, like enters the Roman god Cupid, who was... Um, was Cupid fertility or love or all, all of the above? He was, yeah, he was the the, the god of of love, and so he Cupid, the who was the Roman remix of a Greek god named Eros. There right. were some changes. So Eros was like this beautiful man who would like um strike people with love, and they would fall in love, and then somewhere along the way, when the Roman version Cupid took over. He became this naked little baby with wings and his love arrows. And so I don't know how I wasn't able to find out like how he became associated with this. Maybe just because there were just lingering cultural things with Cupid. And then like all of a sudden, like, um, you know, this holiday becomes a romantic holiday. And so they say, put that baby butt with the wings on the Valentine's Day card and boom, we got we got ourselves a real holiday here. Yeah, which is also another interesting thing is where Cupid, we often think of Cupid as the cherubim we understand in scripture. And I think we did a podcast on angels, mm-hmm. right? So that is just another like morphing of traditions where that is not what we see pictured in scripture about angels is this cute little chubby baby with wings. Yeah, with it, a yeah it is interesting that because uh, it was the Middle Ages at this point, and so a lot of the religious art around angels was kind of the baby cherub kind of things. And so Cupid kind of got imported to that because he's the you know the Roman god of love. And so it all kind of got mixed together and mashed up, and that's kind of how we got, you know, it's Valentine's Day as we know it. And then you get to the 20th century. Good old Hallmark. Hallmark. 
and they said, we're going to sell chocolates, we're going to sell balloons, we're going to sell flowers, we're going to sell cards. It It's going to be... everywhere, just all Where the you saw hearts, Hallmark saw dollar signs. Yes. And they executed to great effect. And now they're going to jump on Galentine's and Dale's version of that Palantine. The trademark is pending, so... I can't even Don't you it. even dare... I'm yeah. I'm buying the domain name right now. For marketing purposes, is Palantines being marketed with hearts still, or like what are you, what are we nah, doing? No, it's muscles and and beer and yeah. football. Oh, chicken wings maybe. Yeah, I mean it that comes just... the same week as the Super Bowl, so it's got to be about you know sports and manly stuff. Yes, of Palantine's course. Day. It's like the day before the big game, Palantines. where you 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 get all kind of riled up and excited about manliness so that when the game comes, you're already ready to go. I have never seen you do these things. <laughs> the, like what you're describing as this holiday you're creating. But I know things, that there's a market for this. You don't there's a market. Above all else, I know how to market. Yeah, that's true. So like just about everything else that has a very long history, Valentine's Day is kind of a mixed bag. It's like, a real it's mixed a, bag. It's a morphing of a lot of things over the years, over hundreds and thousands of years, really. Um, but it's always interesting to see how a lot of the big holidays, um, and I don't even know how you describe big holidays. Is Valentine's a big holiday? I don't think it is, but for marketing purposes, it totally is. Um, but most holidays have some sort of a mixed Christian, Greco-Roman tradition that's being morphed into something that we then spit out in the 21st century right but i think the one thing that we can learn about the legend of saint valentine uh is that as with many uh early christians who lived in a pre-christendom world um they had this this value of holding to christian convictions despite considerable pressure to abandon them and it's noteworthy also that in a post-Christendom era, uh, we are seeing you know, a lot of pressures on similar fronts as Christians did in a pre-Christendom era. I mean, albeit with less beheadings, we can be thankful for that. That they, I mean, people at least pretend, here in the West, people act like that's, they're that's being a, that's beheaded, but that's not, they're not. Yeah, here Be- in the West, nobody is. Yes, in other parts of the world, it's really they happening. are. But yeah. for, for those of us who live here, that's not something that, you know, is foreseeable in our future. Um, and, you know, part of that is owing to the vestiges of kind of like Western liberalism, which had a lot of Christian values to it. Even though our society is becoming much more secular, the superstructure of Christian values more or less is remaining in a lot of different areas, not in all areas, but, you know— think about the dignity of life like that's a christian value but then now even the most secular people in you know modern governments around the world are that's the core value uh for them and so you know that we can thank that for the the lack of beheadings but that doesn't take away from the fact that um these fronts whether it be marriage or sexuality or whatever it might be, that these are the very same values that are challenged in a post-Christendom era as were challenged in a pre-Christendom era. Yeah, and even as we look at Valentine's Day and the work of uh, St. Valentine, obviously we're not like sitting here celebrating him because... <laughs> because he might not have even existed. 
Well, I don't think that's true. He did. He Some did. dude existed. existed. In, um, now, the stories, maybe that's a little bit different. But this idea of um, the fact that he was willing to put his life on the line and risk everything for the sake of upholding uh, something that was just very important to to him and to his identity as a Christian, there is something that we can take away from that. Even though I'm sure as you're taking your gals out or your significant other or your pals, your pals. Um, you're probably not thinking of this. You're probably not thinking of this as you're exchanging boxes of chocolates and flowers. But it's just it's just an interesting reminder that we will forever live in a world that we have to hold tight to our Christian values, obviously until Christ returns and us determining what those, what is important to hold on to and what is important to risk in many ways our lives for. Um, I think St. Valentine's are just a reminder of that. And I think too, even just that you don't get a sense of like malice on the part of those Christians who uh, in this era were, fighting for the 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 beauty of the morals and the principles that they were keeping like we don't have any you know diatribes of valentine against the roman empire and their godlessness and all this kind of stuff um which is you know characteristic of a lot of our cultural wars today but what we saw from him is that he was just committed to carrying out the work of um, promoting Christian values in a positive way, uh, you know, casting a light instead of cursing the darkness, mm. which I think that's instructive for us today. That's a really, really good point because we can look to him and say, see, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be um, changing culture with our morals and our perspective and holding on to the Christian ethics that are fundamental but we see the way in which most Christians who were martyred, uh, they did it in a very different way. Yeah, and I think that's because they didn't have any assumption that the Roman government owed them anything. Mm, and yeah. um, certainly it's a that's different a governmental system we live under now because we live in a liberal democracy with representative government. And so um, we can vote for things and we can get representatives in place that are going to... Um, move things in a certain way where that wasn't an option back then. But um, I think there's something instructive about looking at the pre-Christendom persecution or disagreement with what's going on in in the levers of government and and culture that uh, they didn't have this sense of entitlement when they looked to the uh, government authorities um, and they weren't going to wag their fingers so much as they were going to just do uh, their level best to put the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus on display um, in a way that was loving and, and just fiercely uh, self-sacrificial, like to the point of death. Um, they weren't going to waver on these things, but not not in a sense of an embattled um, you know, I'm going to die on this hill with my my fist wagging at whoever is, you know, above me. Um, it was much more motivated by a, a, by a devotion that was started from a place of love. Yeah, so as you're sitting down for dinner and exchanging your box of chocolates on Valentine's Day, you think about this. 
think about how you can be holding to, and to think about your <laughs> Christian fundamental beliefs. No, really, I mean, there's there's no harm in celebrating Valentine's Day. It's just interesting to kind of look back to some of these things and find where their roots come from and, and even just how we can kind of ponder what does this mean for what we're doing today as Christians and what it what does it mean for our culture today when we're living in a post-Christian world? Yeah, but all that to be said, any excuse to go and have dinner, that's cool with us too. All right, let's go get dinner. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other face-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kindnessproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.